Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The why is hidden in your name. Jerome Lynn Wyeth has created a scientific way of deciphering your name to reveal your contract for this lifetime. And your name even specifies the seven areas that are subsets of your soul's overall goal. Your name identifies who you are to both yourself and others. What does your name say about you? Find out in the book Know the Name, Know the Person, which can be purchased on the website knowthename.com. Welcome to Luminescence Common Sense Spirituality, a show designed to share spiritual insights with you so that you can comprehend the universe and how it functions. You are about to experience raised consciousness. This is a place where spiritual principles are shared with the goal of assisting you to expand your understanding of both the seen and unseen worlds. Luminescence Common Sense Spirituality helps you to discern the timeless truths handed down from wise sages through the ages, from the airy-fairy nonsense that is being taught today. Now, here is your host, Sharon Lynn Wyeth. Hello, welcome to Luminescence, Common Sense Spirituality, Sharon Lynn Wyeth radio show that disseminates esoteric knowledge and common sense spirituality. I am Susan Klopstein, spiritual therapist and medical intuitive of Soul Wealth, and I am sitting in for Sharon today as she is in the hospital. Our topic today is Mysteries in A Course of Miracles. Why has A Course in Miracles gained so much traction? How does it compare with other available teachings? What is the basic message? How does A Course in Miracles define God and the Son of God? What is heaven and what is not? How is oneness defined? And our special guest today is J.J. Dewey. J.J. is an author and lecturer and is best known for his books from the Immortal series. The first is The Immortal, books one and two, published in 1998. These were followed by The Lost Key of the, of the Buddha, book three, and Eternal Words, book four. He has written numerous other books that he prints on demand for those who want to read more. The portion of the website, which is often referred to as the Keys Archives, is where both post to both discussion groups made by J.J. Dewey and mentioned above are now archived. The content of the original post has been extracted and reformatted into an easy-to-read web browser-friendly document, which is referred to as an article. Included in these archived articles are also all the chapters from several complete books which he has written. There are also many other extended essays and treaties on subjects as diverse as metaphysics, religion, spirituality, popular social, interpersonal, and relationship issues, nuclear power, alternate energy, the environment, politics, and global warming. In addition to the links found in the standard Keys Archived Index, 
links to the chapters of JJ's books and links to essays, treaties, and other popular topics written by J.J. Dewey have been gathered together into subjective collections and placed in a three-part subsection of the key archives, entitled From the Archives. You might also want to check out the Book of Quotes, which give quotes from J.J. on a wide range of topics. And so, welcome, J.J. I know that Sharon wishes she could be the one interviewing you today. She just loves your work and your knowledge. She just yeah. loves it. I'm so, sure she wishes she was here, all right? Oh, by the way, uh, the website is freeread.com, and they can access all those things for free. Oh, that is so generous of you. That is lovely. And so, are, are we all set to get started? I think so. Oh, good, good. Let's go. <laughs> and so, <laughs> the first question that we have is, why has A Course in Miracles gained so much traction? Well, a lot of it is how it got started. Um, the voice in A uh, Course in Miracles... Uh, uh, introduces itself as being Jesus, the Jesus that was uh, in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, and he's speaking by uh, mental telepathy to a lady named uh, Helen Suckman, and uh, she was a psychologist, uh, worked with uh, under another uh, guy named Bill Thetford uh, at Columbia University. And they were working together, and and um, uh, they were contemplating relationships and how to uh, improve them. And uh, uh, suddenly, um, a voice started coming to her, and she thought maybe she was going crazy. So she uh, talked to Bill, and she says, I keep hearing this voice. It tells me uh, this is the Course in Miracles. Uh, take notes. And uh, she says, what should I do? And he says, well, why don't you write down what it says and we'll look at it to uh, see what it's about <laughs> and go from there. So so she uh, wrote a couple pages of, that was dictated to her. And the next day read it to Bill and he says, boy, this, this is really good stuff. He says, uh, are you sure you're just not making this up? And she says, no, that's what. This voice told me. And he says, well, keep writing. And so she kept writing, and she worked on it for seven years and eventually became the Course in Miracles. And, and uh, she didn't even want to take credit for it when, she, when they eventually published it. She didn't even want her name associated with it. For one thing, she was a Jew, and she, she was leaning toward atheism, and so she thought she was the last person that uh, Jesus would ever want to come and talk with. <laughs> but uh, she, uh, she asked one time, she says, why in the world did you pick me? And the voice told her, uh, because I knew you'd get the job done. <laughs> oh, and, gosh. Oh, my goodness. God and, uh, she did get the job. Uh, several times she rebelled, and she tried to quit writing, and she 
when she did, she couldn't sleep, and she felt really restless, so she started writing, taking notes again. And a couple of times, she just about lost all the manuscripts, and they were miraculously uh, retrieved. And, and uh, so it's kind of a miracle we have the book. But it was also interesting that the voice said, I knew, I knew you would get the job done. <laughs> so apparently, there's probably a lot of willing people out there to hear the voice of Jesus, but uh, probably a lot of them might not have got the job done. But... Uh, uh, so that's one reason the story behind it captures everybody's imagination and the fact that it uh, seems it it's come comes from uh, Jesus and that uh, gives it a stamp of tremendous authority. But that alone wouldn't be enough because there's all kinds of people out there channeling uh, Jesus or God or whatever, you know, that aren't getting very far. But uh, what gives it the additional traction is the quality of words. There's all kinds of interesting quotes in, from the book that uh, are passed around and in circulation that inspires people. And uh, when people read it, they feel like, they, it, even if they don't get a, some type of personal revelation on it, they think, you know, this could be Jesus. It kind of sounds like he might the way he might talk, you know. And so it uh, gives people uh, credibility when when they do read it. And, uh, okay, uh, any other that, that questions be, on that? that? That would account for a lot of traction, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and <laughs> how do you think it compares with other available teachings? It compares with what? Other available teachings. Matter of fact, I have a uh, couple chapters on my book, and that uh, I'm a, a major student of the ancient wisdom and theosophy and Alice Bailey, and there's a lot that is comparable. But what's interesting about this is very few Course in Miracles students study the ancient wisdom. And very few people in the ancient wisdom study the Course in Miracles. Now, one of the reasons for this is the difference in the language. Sometimes a Course in Miracles says the same thing that's in the ancient wisdom, but phrases it in a lot of lot different uh, phraseology and uh, defines its words a little differently. And so uh, when... When uh, one tradition reads the other tradition, they think it's nonsense because uh, they don't read it carefully enough to see sometimes, quite often, that it's saying the same thing. And so what I've done in one of my chapters is I give quotes from The Course in Miracles and then I give quotes from uh, uh, Alice A. Bailey or Madame Blavatsky and uh, show how they're really saying the same thing. Uh, more often than not, which I, I find quite interesting. And, you know, this often happens. You have uh, a, a an inspired work come forward, and then later you have somebody that believes that work but takes it a step farther, and then they're rejected by the original believers. Uh, a little bit like the 
Jews rejected Jesus, even though Jesus quoted in their own scriptures back to them that wasn't enough, but because he took them into territory where they had not been before, they rejected him. And this is a natural thing for humanity, to uh, reject new light when it comes, until it becomes established. Then once it becomes established, then uh, the people that rejected it are reincarnated and reincarnated into believers. So the, they're eventually converted from one life to another, which I find quite interesting. Hmm. So the people that persecuted <laughs> Jesus and the disciples, a lot of them are now born-again Christians, really uh, defending them. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I think I've healed a few of those that were persecuted, persecuted Jesus, and, and that is I find that consistently true. They are believers yeah. in this lifetime and grateful for the healing. Um, yeah. Do you think that there are some basic messages in A Course of Miracles? Yeah, the basic, the, the core message is pretty easy mm-hmm. to perceive, but some of the more subtle messages go over people's head the first time, first or second time they go through the course. The basic message is that this world is an illusion and we're in a dream space. And we need to, the Course in Miracles is given to us to help us wake up from the dream. Now, the Course says that there's many other teaching traditions and just about all the spiritual teaching traditions do some good. And the fact that they kind of move people a little bit closer to the light, some of them a lot better than others. But uh, the Course puts itself forward as a, uh, calls itself a celestial speed-up. In other words, it's showing us how to, sometimes it says if you follow some of the things in the Course, you can save like a, a thousand years and your progression toward waking up, which should be, uh, you know, but be pretty substantial. So it's a, the whole Course is designed to make us aware that we are actually in a dream and this world is not real and uh, we need to wake up to the real world and before we wake up we can kind of get a taste of it like when you're half asleep and half awake you're kind of uh, halfway uh, in between both states he says uh, you know we can pretty much get to that uh, while we're still in the physical world so we can be aware there's a, a more eternal world that we can't see. But uh, then eventually we will uh, wake up completely. And when we wake up, this world will completely disappear and we will be in the eternal world that uh, is often called heaven. And so, uh, and in the eternal world is a lot different than this one. The eternal world, there's no time, space. Uh, form, uh, we're in what you would call the eternal now, and uh, it's the, if I have one criticism of the Course, it's the fact that it doesn't give us a lot of details about what this world is, because it's beyond form, and uh, the Course says it's impossible to describe without experiencing it. So, uh, 
but anyway, the Course also says that you cannot see two worlds. So as long as we're seeing this world, we can't see the eternal world in fullness. And the purpose of the Course is to change our vision, to remove it from this world to the next. And when that happens in fullness, then a person can uh, make the transition. And it's interesting that uh, uh, the voice told uh, Helen that uh, she asked about the resurrection, and he said that he gave an interesting uh, account as to what happened in the resurrection. He says uh, that uh, at the at at the time that they crucified him, he reached a point to where he could see that his body and this world was pure illusion. And when he, he when he could see this, it gave him power to uh, uh, make his body disappear and reappear. And when they put his body in the tomb, he said he took his full attention off of this world and put it onto the other world. And when he did that, he said his body disappeared. And so they came in the tomb, and his body was gone, and they didn't know where he was. But then he said when he appeared to the disciples, he put his attention back on this world and made his body reappear. So he, he uh, apparently, according to the Course, has power to shift his attention between the two worlds. And he says uh, he feels a responsibility to help us wake up so he he can uh, uh, shift his attention between the two worlds and uh, help us along our way so he can speed up our our transition. So that's a pretty uh, uh, interesting message there. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. It would be the ability to recall all of his RNA all of his DNA unto his spirit body and then to re-manifest them again. Yeah. And the Course makes this interesting statement, too. It says, what would you fear if you did not have to worry about anyone injuring your physical body? It says you could be fearless. If you didn't have to worry about disease, you didn't have to worry about accidents, you didn't have to worry about pain. You didn't have to worry about uh, attack uh, or even have shelter. Uh, if you didn't have to worry about taking care of your body, the Course says you would have no fear. And it says this is the key to overcoming fear is to see your body as an illusion. And he says when you see your body in the proper light, you will no longer have anything to fear. Except uh, somebody pointed out to me when I said that, well, you could still be embarrassed over something. <laughs> I thought, well, <laughs> <that's> possible. <laughs> the foibles of life. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my goodness. That is amazing. That is amazing. I, We are kind of tricking light right along, and so... I was thinking the next question that we could work on is um, how does a course of in miracles, how does a course in miracles define God and the Son of God? Well, 
this is uh, it's interesting the way it does because there's not agreement among students as to how this is. Uh, and I point out things the course says, and this is when you first read through the course, you think of God the way everybody else does, but then when you get down to the details, for one thing, it says God is an idea. And uh, uh, if, if God, and then it tells us that ideas leave not their source. Well, that means God is an idea that has a source. And you look for the source, and the source of all ideas is mine. So it's, uh, if you read the Course carefully, yeah, it even tells us that God had a creation. And everybody I present that to, the students don't realize that it actually says that, but it does. And so, so what happened, uh, what God is, is uh, an idea created by a universal mind. And God is a composite of every life there is in the universe. And every life in the universe that's a real life unites to create God, and that is the idea that they are behind. And then uh, God, through his creative efforts, created what is called the sonship. And the sonship is a united uh, entities, which are you and me. You and me are part of the sonship. And uh, the sonship consists of billions of parts of all, all creation. And it agrees with uh, John where it says uh, the Word, uh, speaking about the Son being the Word, and the Word created all things. According uh, to the Course in Miracles, the Sonship created everything that there is in the universe. So God created the Sonship, extended Himself, and created that, and the Sonship created all there, all there is. But then... What happened, and this is uh, an interesting teaching I didn't get clearly when I uh, first uh, read the Course, was that there was a, a disagreement in heaven, and uh, uh, there was complete peace and everything, and everybody was, was in a, a state of, uh, uh, of high ecstasy. And but there were some that weren't dissatisfied that with that, and they would they wondered what it would be like to be more limited, and uh, have live in a world where there was like time and space. And uh, they asked the Father for permission to create such a world, and uh, he said that would be impossible because it's contrary to my creation. And it would have to be in, it could only be done in illusion. And so the, uh, the son uh, went ahead anyway without the father's permission, and they created this universe of illusion that was contrary to uh, the will of God. And uh, part of the sonship left and came down and created this, which took many millions of years of by our reckoning but in the eternal world the whole our whole universe would come and go in like an instant there because
because it says as soon as uh, the sonship fell asleep and uh, entered this dream world, then uh, the father created a solution. And the solution was to create the Holy Spirit, which was a link between heaven and uh, the material world. So we, on the material world, uh, we we were told we could we were in danger of being asleep forever if it were not for sending the Holy Spirit down here. And the Holy Spirit is contacted by as as taught in the ancient wisdom by going within to the inner core of your being, there's that spark of God in there. And you contact that, and that can lead you back to the spiritual uh, realms. And uh, so anyway, that uh, there's all kinds of stories about uh, the war in heaven and everything, but uh, was A Course in Miracles puts a little bit different twist on it than any account I've heard before. Mm. Amazing. And do you, let me just, for our listeners, I wanted to ask you if you could separate in definition the Son of God from the Sons of God. Well, the... um this is one of the problems with the Course where a lot of students disagree. Some think mm-hmm. that when we wake up, we will all just be one life uh, with no parts. Others think that when we wake up, we will be a united life, but with many parts, and you will still be a part. Now, from my studies, and I present a lot of references to back this up, that uh, when we wake up, we will be a united life, but there will be many parts. But each part will be identified with the whole. So when you wake up, you will be able to access the consciousness of all the beings in the universe at one time, but still uh, have your identification as a part. Now, one thing that's uh, one analogy that uh, many uh, people give on this in uh, all in many different spiritual traditions is the drop of water taken from the ocean. When the drop of water is taken from the ocean, it's a separated individual drop. When it's put back in, it becomes the ocean. And I think that analogy has a little bit of a flaw because when you put the drop back in the ocean, then it no longer has any uh, identification. Okay, But what is overlooked is what water is composed of is molecules of two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. And when one of these molecules is taken out of the ocean, it can be separate, a separate part of a drop. But when it's put back in the ocean, it's still, the atom is still composed of two hydrogen and one oxygen. still has its parts, but it, it identifies with the whole ocean. And that's the way that I believe uh, that it works, rather than us being blended in with the ocean and, and having no existence anymore. 
<laughs> so uh, that's a lot different uh, concept, and that seems to be the way the Course in Miracles uh, presents uh, that idea. So you have the, uh, the the sonship as a whole is everything that has been created. It's God extending himself and creating the, the, all the universes, so to speak. And then you have the individuals like you and me. Uh, we are also sons of God, but we have forgotten who we are. And this is the stated purpose of the Course in Miracles is to help us remember who we really are. And so we, as parts of the Sonship, identify with the whole Sonship. So we are a, a uh, son of God just as much as Jesus was a son of God. And uh, then within ourselves, of course, in this world where we even have forgotten who we are, in our, the core of our being is that communication that we can contact to remind us who we are, that we are sons and daughters of uh, God, just like any of the masters of the past. That is a wonderful way to explain that concept. I am so glad that you went to that, that place. That was a wonderful explanation. I think this is a great time to break for our commercial, and stay tuned. We'll be right back with J.J. Dewey as host today. Thank you so much. Susan Klopstein created an incredible spiritual practice called Soul Wealth that releases blockages from your life. Curses, trauma, karma, old commitments and contracts dissolve. Significant health issues, negative beliefs, unhealthy relationships, and destructive behavioral patterns simply fade away. All of the obstructions that no longer serve you on your life path simply dissipate, making possible a more joyous, fulfilling life. Contact Susan Klopstein at soulwealth.com for a most loving, spiritual soul wealth session. How many different ways have you attempted to understand yourself or your partner on a deeper level? You have most likely heard of the Myers-Briggs test, looked up your astrological sign, or read the five love languages and utilized something like this, checking in to see if you're compatible with your partner or someone else. This is irresistible, isn't it? Assessments and quizzes have almost become an obsession to see if we can better comprehend our pasts and also predict our futures, especially when it comes to love. The truth is, we all want to understand ourselves and our partners better, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Most people don't even think about their name as having any significance beyond what they are called and are unaware of the wealth of information their name holds. But your name is actually an incredibly powerful tool that can be used to understand yourself and others better. Sharon Lynn Wyeth has dedicated her life to studying names. A reading with her will assist you in knowing the other people in your life better by knowing what is important to them and how to connect on a deeper level. Book a reading today with her on www.knowthename.com for your stunning name review. Hello, JJ. This is JJ D. 
Stewie and Susan Klopstein, and we are on Jerome Bias Radio Show Luminescence, and we are interviewing J.J. Dewey for the subject matter of A Course in Miracles. It has been a wonderful interview, and there is another question that I would love to ask of J.J. Dewey, and that is... In terms of the Course of Miracles, J.J., what is defined as what is heaven and what is not? Okay, it's, uh, it tells us that what is not heaven is um, basically anything that we can see with our physical eyes. It's not heaven. <laughs> And uh, uh, it says we can't, we cannot see heaven while we are seeing this world. The only way to see heaven is to not see this world. And it makes a, it tells us there's a place in between heaven and this world, which is called the real world. And it says that you will know that you're beginning to see now. Now, what it calls the real world is when you see the reality behind this world, you see a higher version of this world, which in the uh, ancient wisdom, that would be the etheric world, okay, the, that are the invisible to the human eye. And the Course says that you will know you're beginning to see the real world when you can see light around various objects. Now, as many uh, of your listeners probably know, there's an etheric double for everything in this world, and it gives off light. And you can see this light quite easily. This is the, uh, the, the two easiest to see lights be, beyond normal vision is the uh, uh, standard etheric double the light that that gives off, and then the human aura. And the human aura is more difficult to see than the uh, etheric light. And uh, in classes I've given, uh, I show everybody how to see the etheric double, and and usually everybody in the class winds up seeing it. And um, the easiest way is to put your thumbs together and put your thumbs... Lift up your thumbs against a wall that's uh, a light color, all a good solid color, and and pull your thumbs apart until they're about a quarter inch apart. But wait, uh, do that over a period of like uh, 30 seconds or so, and then when they're about a couple millimeters apart, look at the space between your thumbs. And don't try to see your thumbs at all, but look at the space. And in a minute, you will see the etheric double. It will be light blue in color, and it extends a couple millimeters from your skin. And uh, if you practice doing that, then pretty soon you'll be able to see light around any object that you want. Like if you got a cup of coffee in front of you and you look at that, you'll be able to see the etheric light that's the third double of that uh, coffee cup, and uh, 
this is, uh, the Course says this is one of the steps to seeing the real world. And seeing the real world is a, a step to, major step to awakening. And um, then, then the next step up is looking at the aura itself. And looking at the the easiest way to see the aura is to look directly above a person's head because uh, that's the easiest light to see. And remember the uh, uh, ancient Christian, early Christians often painted pictures of Jesus with a halo over his head. This is because the light over the head is the easiest part of the aura to see it's the brightest part. But uh, if you just... Uh, stare at uh, people's uh, heads, and uh, if you don't want to appear too weird if you're in a crowd doing it, or else something's wrong with you. (laughs) I've had that problem a little bit myself when I've been practicing. I practice on people they don't know I'm practicing on, so I have to be careful not to get caught staring at them. (laughs) Yeah, Uh uh-huh. But, I usually, when I look at people, see tremendous um, volumes of a color coming into them and then emanating yeah. out of them, which tells me, you know, the basic ray that they're here on. Um, so yeah. I know I, I sneak a peek at people all the time, but <laughs> it's Yeah, fun. right. And there's a lot of people do that. Norm- normally, I had to practice on it a while before I could do it, but uh, uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's interesting. The more you practice, the better you get at it. I haven't practiced much for quite a few years, but uh, uh, I still notice when I look at objects, I can see that light around. I'm looking at a little uh, engraving now where I see a light around it right this minute. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a principle that I call, and this the course doesn't go into seeing auras or anything. It just mentions about the, uh, the light around objects and being able to see them uh, clearly is a step to seeing the real world, which is uh, uh, becoming half awake, so to speak. But uh, it's a process I call not seeing because uh, I discovered this when I first began to see auras because when I first saw them, I thought, aha, I see it. And then as soon as I started to uh, get excited and pay attention, it disappeared. I thought, well, that's strange. So I see it again, and as soon as I really take note of it, it disappeared. And so I had to, I, I discovered I had to put my mind in a state of what I call not seeing. It's like when you see it, it's like you don't care if you see it or not. Have no uh consciousness about uh, wanting to see it and then it will stay you know uh, but you have to not have any de- desire connected with it at all but uh, and just let the other world fade out because the course of miracles is right it says you can't see two worlds because if you're concentrating on this world you don't see the aura or the etheric light uh, you just see the with normal vision. But if you tune out this world and uh, uh, as if it doesn't exist and have no investment in what you're seeing, then 
uh, it makes the aura and the etheric light a lot easier to see. And uh, mm-hmm. then uh, along this line, something else I discovered is that we're, we also have uh, our physical bodies are actually uh, fairly circular, somewhat egg-shaped, but circular. And on the uh, on the surface of an egg, there's once the shell is cracked, there's a film on the outer surface of a boiled egg. And there's a film on the outer surface of the aura, which is about an arm's length out from uh, your body. And on that is projected our thoughts in uh, symbolic uh, form. It's like a kaleidoscope of, uh, of uh, uh, geometric images. And there is projected our thoughts. And if, if you could uh, see the outer film of a person's aura, you could tell what he's thinking. But this is really difficult to see. And uh, it's a lot harder to see than it is the aura. And, uh, but it's uh, only a couple times I've been able to see that really clear. And it's oftentimes when I'm in between being awake and asleep, sometimes I can see that pretty clear. But uh, uh, norm- normally that's, uh, it's quite, uh, uh, it's, it's made a really fine grade of theory matter. But, uh, okay, anyway, that's a little bit off the subject, but it's an interesting subject. But you <laughs> want to know uh, more about heaven, so... The Course tells us that once you arrive on the real world, and in the real world, and a lot, the Course is, uh, you have to study it carefully to figure out what the real world is, because uh, uh, a lot of students aren't a, are not clear on what is meant by the real world, but the real world is just a manner of seeing where you perceive accurately, because people do not perceive this world accurately. You have two people uh, witness a car accident and they give testimonies and both testimonies will often disagree with each other because people do not perceive accurately or remember their perceptions accurately. And so this is one of the steps to take us to the real world is accurate perception and accurate interpretation of that perception. When we when we get to where we perceive perceive accurately, we can see the world as it really is. And then when we see the world as it really is, we're close to the time that uh, we will awaken and go back to the eternal world. It's just a matter of time. Now, the Course in Miracles is a little bit vague about time because it talks. It describes the whole creation of our universe as happening in an instant. So, uh, when it talks about a short time, that could be a number of lifetimes. <laughs> but uh, it, it says that once the person sees the real world, it will be sh- or just a short time before he will awaken, uh, as did Jesus. And uh, so. When we awaken and return to heaven, it's like I say, it is fairly vague. It tells us more what heaven is not than what heaven is. Uh, heaven is not even consciousness the way we define consciousness. 
the word that best describes living in the eternal world is awareness. You have a heightened sense of awareness, and you're aware of everything in the life of God in the eternal world. And it's also a place where there's real creation. Now, it talks about the difference between what is real and what is not real. What is not real and what's an illusion is anything with a beginning and an end. So even uh, the sun had a beginning and will have an end, so it's, even the sun is not real according to the way uh, Course in Miracles defines reality. Everything that has a true creation in the eternal world never has an end. And so that which never has an end uh, is called the true reality, and there in the eternal world we will create things that never have an end. Now, the uh, time will also be different there. There will be no past or future. Like, here, time goes from uh, one direction uh, horizontally to another direction. And uh, the Course says there is time in heaven, and a lot of Course students think there's no time in heaven, but it does say there is time in heaven, and it's called present time. It says present time is the only time there is. And this time actually moves, but it moves by expansion rather than just from one point to another. And uh, uh, so in heaven, when there is creation, uh, everything expands, and it never contracts. So it all goes one way. And so in going this one way, uh, in the eternal world, there is creation going on forever. And when something is created, it never disappears. It's always there and it always remains as if it was there forever. Because it's there in the eternal present, it is called eternal. And uh, so, so this is quite interesting that and what's interesting about this is I've concluded that the creation of our world is kind of pattern after the eternal world because we have uh, according to science we had the big bang and the universe expanded until it is where it is now and what surprises scientists the biggest scientific surprise maybe of all time outside of maybe quantum theory is the fact that the universe is not only expanding, which if you had a big bang, you would expect an expansion going on, but the speed of the expansion is increasing with time. And they can't figure out where this energy is coming from to boost the speed of our expansion to increase it all the time. It's like uh, going in a car and you're accelerating all the time. And this is the way the, the universe is according to science. And they, they're they beside themselves trying to figure it out. They, they say it's uh, some energy, which they've named dark energy, that has to be behind it, but they can't figure out what in the world dark energy is. Now, the Course in Miracles describes creation in the eternal world very similar in the fact that uh, 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 the universe 
of God is expanding, but its expansion because additional sons of God are being created and they become creators. The expansion uh, is accelerating and continues forever. Uh, so it's interesting that uh, our universe kind of corresponds to the eternal universe, but in a, uh, a more material way. And, uh, any more questions you know, about that heaven is, there? Mm-hmm. That's congruent with what I see with many people born, particularly in the last 20 years, their thinking is speeded up. Their physical movements are more rapid. Uh, mm. They are accelerated in their functioning. And it <laughs> is natural. It's a natural state. That's interesting so, you say I, that because I'm... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I, I think that you are right. I think that this is an acceleration from heaven that is coming forward with more individuals that are uh, more creative, and they are exemplifying that. Yeah, what you said reminded me when I was a kid. I'm 77 now, and when I was a kid, first starting to drive a car, I was so frustrated by the older people. Sometimes I'd follow some old podger that was driving about 20 miles an hour, and I'd say, what's the matter with this Akashic Records, miscellaneous Akashic Records that would slow them down. It's really amazing. Are you a psychic yourself? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, okay. You, eons ago, <laughs> eons, JJ, you worked with me on a healing issue. I worked um, to heal you of something, and it was so many years ago, probably uh, more like 20 years ago. Oh, really? That, really? Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was eons ago, uh, because I've known Sharon for 27, uh, about 30 years, and we've worked together for uh, 27 to 28 years. Did we meet in yeah. person? We never did. No, oh, we never okay. did. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Yeah, but oh. I see this consistently with what you're saying. Um, with the you know, newer generations, they are, they're faster thinking, their movements are faster, they have no karma. They have very few Akashic records. Um, some of the Akashic records that they're bringing in don't even originate on Earth. They originate in other cosmos. And they're not hindered. Their thoughts are clear. And so they move automatically into their own natural creativity. And it's wonderful to watch. Yeah, I've done regressions on people where they've had lives on other planets. And I've had some very interesting description even like 
existing on gaseous planets like Jupiter, but they were like gaseous beings and different things. That's some really odd, unusual descriptions of uh, lives on other planets from people that have been regressed. <laughs> yes, it is fascinating. It is fascinating. And therefore, based upon all these, what we have discussed, through the Course of Miracles, do they have a concept of how oneness is defined? Uh, yes, pretty much. And this is a little bit of a disagreement among students, and this is part of the reason for my book I'm writing. Is, uh, when I've uh, uh, discussed the Course with various students, they, there's a little bit, of, somewhat of a disagreement, a little bit like uh, Christians where you have Baptists and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons all have a different take on the same Bible, you know. Uh, this has uh-huh. kind of happened somewhat with uh, the uh, Course in Miracles. And um, uh, so people uh, do have a different take on oneness. Some people think that... Uh, Oneness means we will all wake up to one life, and there will only be one life, and that will be it, and we'll have no individuality at all. And the other uh, section, which I side with, is we will wake up to oneness, and we as an individual will identify with the whole, and it will be like we're one life, but we can still... uh, draw back and identify with or individualize. And uh, this is pretty much proven in the uh, writings of uh, Owen Chuckman when she said that uh, in the the beginning of the uh, separation, not all the sons were separated, but uh, some of them became separated and some of them remained in heaven. And so uh, uh, that couldn't happen if... They were all, if if uh, the uh, concept of God had no parts, and it was just one with no parts, because uh, and then the chorus goes through the parable of the prodigal son, where uh, the pro- in the parable of the prodigal son, the father representing God had two sons, and one son wanted to go out into the world, and he wasted his inheritance, and uh, he wound up losing everything and not realizing who he was and eating with the hogs. And he come to his senses and he says, well, even the servants in my father's house are better off than me, so I'll return to the house of my father and say I'm not worthy to be a son, but I'll be a servant. And when he returned, it says his father was looking for him afar off, and when he saw him return, he embraced him, and he killed the fatted calf, had a big party, and welcomed him back as a full son. And the other son was a little bit disturbed over this because he says, I've been here all along and supported you, and you never killed a fatted calf for me. <laughs> but, uh, so, so the chorus basically tells us that uh, this, this, uh, the, the particle son is us who came down into this dream world, this universe of time and space and limitation, and pretty soon we reach a point to where we uh, get frustrated and we think there's got to be something better than this, and then we start our journey back home. 
but there are those that never came down here. And, uh, uh, but eventually we will all return and we become uh, uh, united. Uh, the many become united in the one, the way that I, uh, I interpret the oneness, rather than the many uh, just become one and lose themselves. And, and the, the idea of looking on God as just one life is kind of silly because can you think of a greater hell than being completely alone for all eternity? I, I can't. I can't. And there are times what? in this troubled world when I literally say, God, I love you, and I wish that I were with you now. Right. You and, know, of course, um, the, and I think some of us do... <laughs> Right, and the course JJ, emphasizes we, that that heaven is sharing, and you can't you can't share if there's just one. There wouldn't be anything to share with, and so would uh, that, well, that it says that in heaven we're all sharing with each other, and this is what makes it heaven, so to speak. I love it, JJ. We are at um, at time, and you have been. <laughs> it has been wonderful to talk with you. Just a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, let me add. I think I think Sharon. Yeah, let me add. I think Sharon will be proud of you. I think you did a good job. Oh, thank you, thank you, sweetie. I really appreciate you saying that. It was such a surprise to be asked, but such an honor. Yes. Um, and I love. I have loved listening to you. It's it's just been a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, I wanted to. (laughs) Thank you. And so I wanted to say that next week, P.B. Greycastle shall be joining Sharon. And what Sharon has done with the placement of letters, P.B. has done with associating a color with each letter. It ought to be a fascinating show. Now, as you know, Sharon likes to end her shows with the beautiful music Shine by D. L'Amour. You can hear more of her music by visiting www.dlamour.com. Shine is also available on all streaming platforms. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to next week. This is Susan Klopstein signing off for Sharon Lynn Wyatt. Bye-bye now.
a reflection of her soul. And I want to shine like the sun and smile to stop the rain. And I want to dance with the wind and believe in dreams again. Of her, the light slightly dimmed, her reflection unseen, and all that she knew, and all that would be, it vanished like the sun rays on a shimmering sea. Love.